tonight on Unsolved Mysteries, Shot in the Face, Connecticut, Lost Dad, CIA edition, Shot in the Face, Nashville, and Lost Dad, Silent Testimony edition. co-host crystal and i'm your other co-host robert and this is reenacted an unsolved mysteries podcast uh, crystal can you like say something real quick so i can finish scarfing down this meatball slider um sure well i can tell you that i uh, just booked an international trip for next spring mm. no really wow. yeah uh, uh, i'm i'm going to mexico I just booked a book tickets uh, night before last. I'm very excited. Um, oh, really? Yeah. I mean, I mean, like for for reals. You're not yeah, just joking. No, about, and this is oh. not for the sake of the show. I'm just I'm choosing to break this news to you and our audience at the same time. But wow. um, I I haven't left the. It'll be probably by the time I leave for that trip. It'll be about seven years since I left the country. Um, and I love. I love the United States with all my heart, but I need a little time out. I need a little break. It's, uh, I need to go on a vacation. And, um, as people do, it's not, wow. it's not like a resort beachy Mexico. This is like authentico Mexico. Mm. Yeah. Authentico. Authentico. Authentico Mexico. I'm not as good as, as good as pronunciation of, of, I of have, these. I have, I have, Six months uh, to learn more Spanish than I know currently <laughs> uh, before going down there. So, are you done with your sandwich? May we record an episode? Yeah, of yeah, I, I, I am. And you can stop talking about your international trips and <laughs> oh, stuff. No, okay. I, I wanted to address um, and right. what is probably going to become some sort of running motif with this uh, podcast now, where mm. I start out by expressing regret over things I didn't say or in this case did say in the previous episode. Oh, is this like, or do we have a, a, like a corrections like in the newspaper? Well, I, I, I don't think it's necessary. It's not a, a factual uh, issue. It's just like in our last proper episode we uh -huh. recorded, I expressed how much I regretted when you mentioned when in the episode before that you mentioned uh, you you're reading the tweets of the vapid girl that sat mm -hmm. behind me on the bus, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and and you you read the one where like I, I I wrote down when she said, you know, my mother doesn't give a fuck; she'll just fart on someone and walk away. Yeah, classic. Uh, yeah, and then like you you mentioned that, and it wasn't until the we were recording the next episode I was like, oh man, I should have said. Yeah, everyone in that bus probably felt like they were farted on by the time she got off. Um, so in this case, uh, <laughs> so this case, I in this case, this is actually <laughs> I re I regret uh, some of some of the, some of the things I said in the previous episode. Okay, 
Um, um, you know not so this, much. You know what this is like? This is like when when someone like throws an insult at you, and then like <laughs> three weeks later you think of a good comeback. That's what this is like. Because you realize this episode will drop probably a month or six weeks after the one you're referring to. <laughs> I know, totally. All right. Um, Just for continuity, I want to let the listeners know to what he's referring, yeah. in case you've moved on with your life and forgotten what it is he's <laughs> talking about. Right, right. Uh, yeah, um, that would have been an excellent burn. Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. Um, but it, it so, so, but for now... Well, no, I well, I mentioned this in the last proper episode we recorded. I was just using that to illustrate how, like, you know, because in this episode we're recording now, I just wanted to express some regret about some of the things I said in the last proper episode, particularly mm-hmm. the epi- the segment about, like, 60s radicals and stuff. Because... Mm-hmm. Um, you and I had had, got, had gone to great lengths to avoid any discussion of politics and stuff on this podcast. Yeah, it's a, we're we're a decidedly a political podcast. Yeah, yeah. And I think like enough got revealed in the last episode that like people have kind of sassed out. We're on sort of. Uh, uh, come, we both come from different perspectives, and I'm just mm-hmm. afraid that, particularly some, considering the particular topic we were discussing, I just wanted to head this off before our Twitter starts getting deluged with stuff like, oh, Robbie's practically Spiro Agnew. <laughs> Are you really <laughs> afraid of our Twitter getting deluged with that or anything? Have we been deluged in the past with anything at all? Well, I, I guess maybe... <laughs> Maybe I'm not so much afraid as secretly hopeful. <laughs> Would you take it as a compliment um, if someone c- compared you to Spear Agnew? Not particularly. I mean, I didn't think you would. And I'm at the moment trying to remember who Spear Agnew it was Nixon's vice president, yeah? Nixon's vice president, okay. yeah. Okay, ding, ding, ding. And, <laughs> yeah, and he... Good. <laughs> Congratulations, Crystal. Thank You've you. gotten fi- up to $5,000 now. Okay. You can either cash out or continue on. I think I better cash out. Okay. I'm not going to know anything else from here on out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, please, um, just anyone listening, understand that I, I don't necessarily want to see, like, protesting hippies getting hit in the head with, like, batons or anything that's not that's not me yeah i well it's not either of us we're we're a political non-violent i you know i want to think of this podcast we're like uh we're like a milky afternoon tea i i want to be refreshing and and pleasant yeah yeah and you know uncontroversial uncontroversial Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. And because, cause, yeah, well, that that's that's how we talk to each other in real life. Um, well, I mean, you know, we talk about controversial stuff, but you and I are mature enough that we can yeah. handle. Well, I mean, um, I think it also. I think it also we're we're coming from a shared understanding, and I think maybe this is worth talking about, which is, you know, you and I have uh, we're very generous in our interpretations of the other's intentions. So we know that we're friends and that even yeah. if we disagree with each other, that it's, it's, 
we'll still be friends. It's never a personal attack. But it's also, I think we have a great strength in that, you know, you and I were educated very similarly. So we have like, mm-hmm. a, a, like a theoretical foundation, especially with politics and, and a framework with which to talk about these things. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that's not what this podcast is about. This podcast... <laughs> Well, you know, Crystal, I'm actually kind of crying because uh, you you described it so beautifully. Oh, um, thank you. But but yeah, you're probably right. We probably should start talking should about the talk Unsolved about, Mysteries. Probably say, uh, talk about season two, episode 14 of Unsolved Mysteries while Robbie gets a Kleenex. So Crystal's going to lead us uh, off with the first segment while I dump all these meatballs out of a plastic bag and eat meatball oh, sliders. Oh, God, I wish I had a meatball slider. Oh. I'm going to have to get dinner after this. Oh, yeah. Anyway, season two, episode 14 of Unsolved Mysteries. Uh, I, I didn't really catch anything um, out of the ordinary about the intro to the show, but there is a definitive theme. Uh, there's basically two kinds of segments that we're getting <laughs> uh, in this episode. The first kind of segment is shot in the face by a stranger, mm-hmm. and the other kind of segment is "Where's my dad? I'm looking for <laughs> my dad." So, yeah, it's a weird combo, um, but that's the show that they gave us. Wait, did we end up with any segments that simultaneously had someone getting shot in the face while looking for their dad? Um, no. I'm sure. Yeah, there's probably yet. one somewhere in, in in this show. Yeah. Yeah, it's coming. So uh, why don't you tell us about the the first shot in the face by yeah, a stranger? So, oh God. I mean, it's really frightening when you think about it. But I do remember um, Stack saying it, and I don't know how true this is, but. Uh, something there's some statistic that 50% of all violent crime is committed by somebody who is a complete stranger to the victim. Yeah, I, I found that strange. I always kind of assumed it was a higher ratio of people you knew. I feel like, you know, 80s, early 90s, a very dangerous time. Very mm-hmm. dangerous time. I don't think people think, you know, they see, they get so exposed through social media and 24-7 news now that they would assume that now has more violent crime, but the statistics don't bear that out at all. The late 80s, early 90s in the United States, you know, there was a lot of, there was a lot of crime. And a lot of it was violent, and we just don't have as much of it now, so. Yeah, yeah, I I remember there's a lot of hand-wringing about, like, you know, we were anticipating a future that like 2015, basically everyone would be a violent criminal committing right. acts of crime right. against each other. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not going to presuppose what all the reasoning is for the decrease, whatever you can go look that up. The internet exists, but, um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. Maybe what he was saying in the beginning of the show was true. Um, I, I feel like it probably isn't true today, but maybe then it was, I don't think, I just don't feel like Robert Stack's just going to lie to us. No, about something no, I, that important, but um, it's a man of considerable integrity. Yes, he is. So anyway, <laughs> first segment um, on August twenty second, nineteen eighty eight, in the the back country of Eastern Connecticut, a woman who, in scare quotes, we're calling Carol because uh, she doesn't want her identity revealed, which will make a lot of sense in a moment. 
Um, mm-hmm. She is driving to work. Um, this isn't the main highway. She takes the back roads to work. Uh, same route she drives every day. Uh, she comes upon... She gets behind a truck that's driving kind of erratically and slowly. Mm-hmm. And so she slows down. Uh, and then the truck pulls, like, stops, basically. And so she's forced to stop as well. And some guy gets out of the truck, walks to the driver's side window, shoots Carol in the face from a very mm-hmm. short distance, and then takes off. And um, what follows is a reenactment of Carol, or the re- reenactor, um, struggling to stay conscious. Um, so, so I, you have an observation? No, no, I was, I was just thinking about all the cars passing by while she's... <laughs> well, yeah, and here's, here's the, here's the, you know, the scary part of it is that she's, she, uh, slumps over in the front seat of her car, so anyone driving by, it's not visible that someone's even in the car, because she's, like, slumped over. So they just pass by. So they just pass by. So what ends up happening is, fortunately, um, not too much time passes, but a uh, utility truck is driving by. The utility truck is high enough, the carriage is high enough, that the driver passing by can see into the car and see that there's a lot of blood and that, um, you know, something terrible has happened. So the utility truck pulls over the guy in the truck, calls 911 or calls on his dispatch radio, whatever, uh, stays with her until the paramedics show up. Um, she's in such a state. She's still conscious, amazingly. Uh, mm-hmm. And the paramedics are asking her questions. Like, do you know the person that you shot you? Like, blink once for yes, twice for no. And so it's determined. And, and, and fortunately, the paramedics were asking her, like, right after the event, before shock really set in. You know, because you don't remember things when you've been traumatized in that way. Um, oh, okay. Uh well, I mean, it's, I don't know, it's kind of like, especially if you lose a lot of blood, you're kind of in, in and out. Um, so they determined she didn't know the person who shot her. It was just this random act of violence. Um, but she survives. And uh, there's some witnesses that come forward that say, on that same road earlier in the day, and this is in the reenactment as well, that there was a truck kind of pulling uh, perpendicular to the road, there was kind of a truck pulling in and out of the woods. Right, kind right. Kind of taunting cars on this back road. Um, and unfortunately... The driver of this black truck sounds like a real dick. Well, yeah, he shot a stranger in the face. <laughs> um, yes, yes, I mean, that, yeah. I mean, I, that, that's, that's, that's why I, I mean the main reason I said that. I didn't mean to suggest... I'm not more enraged about him You're not more enraged driving. about the taunting. No, To no. declare you're enraged about the shooting in the face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, this is just the sum total of all... Uh, yes. Um, uh, so basically, uh, you know, Carol has a very loose description and from the victims, or not the victims, but the other people who pass by, they, they assume it's the same truck. You know, they have... It's basically what they know is an American make green truck and so they they look through the connecticut like dmv registry and there's like forty thousand trucks that match this description 
and so they can't pin it down to anyone. Um, all she knows it was a white man. She doesn't know anything else. She can't describe him. Uh, so the reason that they don't use her real name is because she survived this attack. Um, she's in shadow and her voice is modulated slightly for the show um, because this guy's presumably still out there. And, right. you know, she doesn't want him to track her down and finish the job, basically. Uh, and it ends with Carol talking about how she still has the bullet towards the back of her neck. Oh, right. Yeah. And Isn't that? Yeah. And so, like, she can feel it. And she has some scars on, scarring on her face, too, from the entry wound. Um, <clears throat> so she says, you know, she doesn't want to take this bullet out because it's, like, probably a little too close to her spine to be messed with. And it's not impairing her in any other way. But that's just a totally surreal feeling, I'm sure. Yeah, um, it's like uh, the... Yeah, it's like the the attacker left a little bit of him of himself in her. Yeah, and she'll. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's yeah. got it's. I mean on top of all of that, just the violence, but then sort of like this feeling of like continued violation. Right. Of your safety, hey. you know. This did you ever see the movie Duel? I I haven't with, seen it. No, you'd mentioned it earlier, but I I I don't know the reference. Okay. Yeah. It's um. It's actually one of Steven Spielberg's earliest movies. So this is pre-Jaws. This is pre-Jaws. Okay. I think this is this is even pre-Sugarland Express. Okay. Yeah. So, um, but basically, it's about this guy. He's on a business trip, and he's driving, you know, across a state or two on the course of this trip, mm-hmm. and he runs afoul of this truck driver who, like, just like. I can't remember what the inciting incident was, but this truck driver is now like made it his entire life focus to harass and, you know, kill, potentially kill this guy. And, you know, this segment reminded me a lot about that. Just like Mm. a a stranger in a vehicle who's just like messing around with you while you're on, while you're driving. Uh, Because the thing is, is like, you don't really... When you're when you're when you're in your car and you're driving somewhere, particularly if you're like driving down a highway or something, you're not expecting to be a victim of crime while you're in the car while it's in motion. No, right? you're not. No. Yeah. So so in the way this is like that that's one of the things that makes this like segment in in some ways kind of chilling is it, it's just such a unexpected place for this to occur. And by by this point, I mean this show has made us acutely aware that you can be a victim of crime pretty much everywhere. But now like one of the last refuges we had is gone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and they, uh, part of the segment too, that they mention about Carol is that she's a nurse. And so they went through basically her entire patient list to see if she had any enemies or had upset someone or, you know, and they couldn't, find anyone that had any beef with Carol. I mean, she didn't have any angry ex-boyfriends. It was like just a total random act of violence, which makes this really, really creepy. And they also never caught the guy. There's no update to the second. That guy could still be out there. You know, I was... Going in and out onto the highway. (laughs) Well, I, you know, I was trying to think about, like, why would someone do this? And... Yeah, this is different from the guy who murdered the ATV drivers, because that was obviously, like, some, like, 
weirdo who just that doesn't like trespassers. This is yeah, that's a that was a like Second Amendment gone too far. <laughs> right, situation. right. Uh, yeah, this is distinctly different. I I feel like it's probably some it, it you know I don't want to armchair diagnose, but this feels like it has some mental illness. Yeah, you know, like like maybe just, like a like a you know was it the son of Sam where the, the guy's the neighbor's dog uh, it was the, what Berkowitz right it was the son of Sam and his it was his neighbor's uh, if, dog that told him to kill like I'm wondering if it's one of these situations. Well, if you remember from our son of Sam se segment, it could have been an entire call of people <laughs> who were oh, hearing God. the dog talk to them. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, that was Berkowitz, right? He had the dogs, the neighbor's dog that told him to. I, I don't know. Gosh, I, yeah, I, I can't so. even remember her. <laughs> I don't know. It was a while ago. Anyway, well, someone, fair, someone fair, tweet at us. Of, let us. Let us know. Yeah. Who was the killer that had the dog told him to do it? I'm wondering if this is a similar uh, situation where someone was having some kind of issue and, and not in touch with reality and unfortunately had access to a, a gun. Yeah, because I mean, time. it wasn't it wasn't a crime for self gain, uh, as far as they could tell. It wasn't some sort of personal motive. This was yeah. someone who was like trying to pick a fight on the highway so he could shoot someone. That's what it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, I also want to add on a personal note why it creeps me out to live in the country. <laughs> <laughs> Um, if I get shot in the face in my car, I want there to be witnesses. <laughs> um, I want someone to have heard something. I want there to be bystanders. You know what I mean? Like, I feel a certain kind of safety living in a city. Because even if someone ignores the gunshots or my screams, when the police come by later... They probably heard it, right? As opposed to out in the country where right. no one is around to hear yeah, you scream, you know? Yeah, yeah. when, I, when I've hear, heard weird stuff, I go out onto my front porch, look a couple miles down to the next, you know, house, kind of shrug my shoulders and go back inside. So, did you like the shot in the face segment? Um, no, it's creepy. Oh, I'm glad, okay. I mean, it's, it is a really good, like, I survive story. I'm glad Carol's hopefully okay. I mean, she did get, she, she survived getting shot in the face. Um, but it's, this guy, I don't know, maybe he's dead by now, but, like, this guy's presumably still out there. So, yeah, uh, two thumbs down. I, it's, I don't have a problem with the segment or how it was presented. I just have a problem with the concept, I guess. Con the concept is so unsettling. You, you just can't unsettling. watch the. Yeah. Okay. Um, How you know, about it, it was something that kept my interest, mostly just because I could really empathize with being out on a road, uh, a high, you know, some sort of road where there's no like alternative route, and someone's just like driving. You know, not necessarily like swerving like this guy did, but there's some vehicle that is prohibiting you from like traveling faster than 25 miles an hour. And you get stuck in that like part where yeah. like you can't yeah. change lanes. And now you have like 20 cars behind you and you feel like 
you have all this pressure on you because yeah. the people behind you are like, why doesn't he just go around the guy? Why don't like, you just pass? Both lines yeah. are solid. <laughs> I think we've all had some part of our jobs where we're like, well, I could do something, but I don't want to deal with it. Yeah, I couldn't be bothered. Yeah. Um, hey, uh, speaking of, let's talk about segment two, about a dad yes. who couldn't be bothered <laughs> <laughs> uh, to let his family know what happened to him. Uh, this is a new segment. The title is The Investigators. Yeah, um, I have a feeling this is probably like one of those segments where there there was only one of its kind. Yeah, like Simed. <laughs> Yeah, yeah like was a, Simon. There was another yeah. one too. It was uh, uh, it was a while back. Anyway, I, let's let's not get hung up on that. Um, no. Anyway, uh, this this they're calling this the investigators, but truly what it is is a lost love segment. Yeah. Um. So here's the story, everybody. Uh, World War Two ends, and it's uh it's that time it's that time of the life when people would just go wait at the dock and wave at incoming boats or, you know, going boats. There's just a lot of waving at ships. This is like our third consecutive episode with, like, black and white f historical footage, isn't it? Um, yeah. I feel like we've been getting them a lot. Yeah, yeah well, I, you know, they got to get some mileage out of their clips they paid for, I guess. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of waving at boats. I guess that's the thing people did. John Mulaney does a bit about this, so... Go look that up. He's funny. Uh, you know, there wasn't really television to speak of, so I guess you just go to the harbor and wave at a boat. Um, <clears throat> or, or pour into the uh, city street uh, as part of some sort of simultaneous parade. Man, wouldn't that be great? To, to like, to have, like, a ticker a tape? Yeah, let's just join a ticker tape parade. Let's have one. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't seem like we get that much anymore. We, you know, they have, um, in New Orleans, they have parades all the time. And you can go and join one of those you see going by. And that's a lot of fun. You've been to New Orleans, too? In addition to what? Yes, I have. Been. Every, everywhere else on the planet? No, Sorry, I've, I, I've, I, nev I want, <laughs> I've never been to New England, Robbie. Ooh. Maybe we should go there for Unsolved Mysteries Con. Uh, are we hosting Unsolved Mysteries Con? Or are you making an announcement right well, now? No, on the I, show I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty Mysteries sure we can't. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure we can't host Unsolved Mysteries Con as that'll run run into some sort of legal uh, trouble. By the way, we fully endorse like paying Amazon Prime to watch these programs rather than viewing them through some other means. Uh, um, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean. We're not endorsing it enough to, for me to pay for the music that we use at the end of the show. Shh. I'll, anyway, hey, uh, so I'll stop it when I get a lawyer's letter. Back in the, uh... <laughs> I'll stop it when we get a letter from a lawyer. It hasn't happened yet because we are under the radar. Anyway, speaking of radar, Ray Hickenbottom is a World War II vet and uh, he returns home after the war to his lovely wife and daughter, his daughter, uh, apparently his wife had, uh, conceived and then he was shipped off. So I don't think he'd met his daughter and, and his daughter, uh, 
is the one ostensibly narrating this segment, his now grown daughter. Uh, She recalls him coming back home uh, to their home in Arlington, Virginia. Uh, She says they have like a really just like a really magical summer of him being home and, you know, the family's together and she finally has a dad. So I assume she's probably about five, four or five years old, I think. Um, Yeah, I'd say that that's that's the right range. Yeah. Um, So her dad, though allegedly uh, takes a job with the army upon returning to be a code breaker uh, and his unsolved mysteries accurately explains Russia who had been our ally in the second world war very quickly becomes our, our foe. And by 1947, the cold war is happening. And so they need code breakers to intercede uh, Russian uh, transmissions um, this group that her dad allegedly, and I'm using the word allegedly for a reason, and we'll get there. Um, <laughs> this group that, uh, Ray Hickenbottom worked for was eventually absorbed by the CIA. The CIA mm-hmm. didn't exist in 1947. And then it did, did, did. I don't, Robbie, do you know when the CIA actually became, uh, Oh yeah. Cause like, cause during world war two, it was the office of, Secret services support the, the office of, of secrets. The, the, yeah, it was the OSS, and then it became the um, CIA just in like a few years after World War II. So we'll just say it was the office of super secrets, and then it became the CIA. Um, <laughs> uh, what? Okay, so Ray Higginbottom is absorbed. <laughs> Anyway, there's a lot of reenactments of Ray's, you know, he's working hard trying to crack these codes. And there's some guy from the Army or CIA saying, you know, I wasn't there, but I've, you know, I've seen these code breakers work and I'll just kill a man to be sitting there all day listening to transmissions. And, and you know, it's so tedious, but then, you know, sometimes you get something that can be really meaningful and useful. Uh, so, you know, Ray's just getting eaten up. What did they call it? An ulcer job? Called it an ulcer job. Oh, man. I didn't even put that in my notes, but that sounds awesome. Yeah. Not probably getting an ulcer, but it's a good way to describe the job, probably. Yeah. Really stressful. But yeah, he has like a real sort of 1950s madman, madman sort of thing where like he's all consumed in his work and then when he's at home he's completely distant. Mm -hmm. So it's about an airline that's flown by Indians? Maybe a plane with some arrows stuck in the cargo door? That's funny. (laughs) That's what gets people's attention now, right? There has to be advertising for people who don't have a sense of humor. On a side note, the... You saw John Hamm. No, not yet. I haven't had my job in Ham L.A. sighting yet. I know it's coming, but it hasn't happened yet. No, as a side note, the the way that they did the mom, the actress who plays the mom, her hair. um, (laughs) So there's the style of hairdo that was very popular in the late 40s, early 50s, and it's called victory rolls. It's where you have the big rolled up parts of your hair on the sides of your head or sometimes pushed to the front. Um, whoever did this woman's victory rolls did a whack job because it looks like she just has like this platter of hair. It's like this flat 
platter of hair on top of her head. I wanted to, go, I, was, I was just Googling victory rolls. Uh-huh. Um, do you see what and I'm I talking think about? I, yes, I do. It's supposed um, to be like more pushed up in the front and then like rolled back. And the way that yeah. they did it for the show, for this actress, it just is all flat. It's all rolled up and flat on top of her. It looks very whack. Anyway, another note that I made is this actress has a very sultry voice. This is not important to the segment. I just got, I didn't, I got didn't a little feeling. I had a little feeling oh, really? about mom. Um, like there's like there's there's a longing in her that's not being fulfilled. Um. Yeah, I think they made the mom the mom situation a little sexier than they should have, maybe. Uh, well, the, that'll tie in with something I want to mention later. Yeah, yeah, so, I think yeah. I know what you're going to mention. So. Oh, so, okay. So anyway, uh, so the so the mom and daughter at some point uh, go to visit her family in Long Island. They come back, and all of their husband is gone, and all of their stuff is being basically moved out by the army. Like mm-hmm. his stuff is being moved out. Their stuff is being separately moved out yeah and and the mom's like what the hell's going on and they're like we can't say and then they speed away at some point so they're (laughs) so they're like basically left without an income they don't know where the father and husband is so they go back to long island to stay with her parents and at some point some guy from the allegedly from the army or cia or something it's very unclear um, yeah, he comes to tell uh, the mom that the the dad Ray Higginbottom has deserted, mm-hmm. and she's like in the reenactment, she's like, "No way! I mean, if you've met my husband, he's very faithful. He's very dutiful. There's no way he deserted. Come on, don't give me this crap." Um, and then. Uh, she shows this guy to the door and then like on the way out, this guy's like, well, I didn't want to be the one to tell you this, but because he's a deserter, all of your military benefits for you and your daughter have been canceled. But I still have my card. So if you want to go to the base, uh, and get some groceries. Yeah. And it's this, it's filmed in this way. That's really weird where it's like, he's kind of hitting on her. That is totally what I picked up. Like, I my interpretation of this was this guy actually was with CIA or whatever, you know, government uh, entity, knew the entire story about what was going on here. Mm-hmm. And the thing that came to his mind was like, great, she's not going to be seeing anyone. So I can totally, <laughs> I can totally move in and appropriate yeah. to this re- very attractive woman. Well, I mean, her hair is whack, but yes, the the actress playing the mother is very attractive, but it's so creepy because this guy's basically like trying to like be the white knight after breaking bad news to her. And he's like, yeah. well, don't kill yeah. the messenger. Cause I'm here now to buy your groceries. So why don't we just get in the car? And it's like, dude, <laughs> get out of here. And she's, you know, unfortunately the mom is like, no, we're cool. And you need to leave. So goodbye. Um, Many years later. Yeah, man, she's a real stand-up woman in in, in this this madman madman era. You know what? She had to go to work. She had st- she still had to support her daughter. Okay. Yeah. We don't know what happened to Ray. Nobody's saying. So anyway, 
Um, so Carol's grown up now. Uh, and then the 1970s, she becomes a private investigator herself. So this is why it's the investigators. The investigator segment. She's an investigator. She's so haunted by this mystery of what happened to her dad that she's going to help other people find their dads. Um, apparently she's very good at her job. And Carol's probably a cool lady. But anyway... Moving on. Uh, so she petitions the uh, army for the papers, the official documents about what happened to her dad. Um, in 1979, she finally gets the papers. Uh, anyway, at some point, her story goes on a local paper. Um, some goofball calling himself Archangel uh, mm -hmm. calls Carol saying he has all this information. Um <laughs> Uh, and he continues a great tradition uh, <laughs> in this show of, like, providing just enough information to show that you're totally useless. Oh, yeah, totally. Well, he says a few things, um, but basically the story that he tells Carol is that he knew what happened to her dad, Ray, and that a threat had been made on Ray's life by uh, the Soviets or the CIA, who knows. Yeah. So he had gone underground, and that at some point in Carol's childhood, he'd been living only three miles away, but in order to protect his family, he couldn't reveal himself. Mm -hmm. um, now, here we get some fucking Carmen San Diego clues from Archangel. Uh, <laughs> it's in a country. It's, you know, it's like Chief, Chief, Chief from Carmen San Diego is like, listen, gumshoe. Any bystander is a potential witness who can point you in the right direction. When you finally catch up with the crook, you've got to bust him. <laughs> He's now in a, a NATO nation, and it has some of the clearest lakes in all the land. Go find him. Uh, oh, man, I want that sleuth jacket so badly. Wasn't Carmen San Wasn't that show the greatest? I loved it. That was my Gosh. favorite. I haven't thought about that show in years. I think about it all the time, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, I'm just going to have to match you on that now because uh, I can't let you out nostalgia me. Yeah, no, Carmen Sandy. I had the computer games too. Um, I even tried like a couple of weeks ago, tried to get, I've tried to find a app for my phone that was the Carmen Sandiego game, but un unfortunately there wasn't like a, a real version. But I would have, oh. I would have paid for it. Somebody, somebody do that game, license that shit. I'll buy it. I want to play. Uh, so anyway. Um, there's a scene of, of Carol and, and her young son, like, pouring over some atlases, trying to determine, uh, what country he's in while I'm screaming Switzerland at the television. He's in Switzerland. He's in Switzerland. Anyway, uh, but they were looking, <laughs> they were looking at a book of, like, Norway, and I was like, no, Switzerland. Uh, yeah, because one of the clues was high mountains. High mountains, uh, yeah. Crystal clear lakes yeah. and a long-time democracy. Yeah. Yeah. Which would rule out Norway. Right, right. It's Switzerland. Carol, I hope you figured it out, and I hope you went to Switzerland and found <laughs> your dad. Unfortunately, there is not an update. Mm, yes, so, unfortunate. Uh, anyway. Okay. Robbie, did you, what did you think about this segment? What do you think happened? Um, what do you think really happened to Ray Higginbottom? Well, uh, 
I'm thinking that maybe he got this, he was offered some sort of spy opportunity. Mm -hmm. And, like, he saw an even bigger opportunity, which was to abandon his family. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, he didn't seem like he was really... Yeah, he, he like in the reenactment, he didn't. That way. Yeah. He didn't look like he was feeling, feeling yeah. it. It didn't look like he was feeling it. You know. Sometimes you're just not feeling it. Sometimes you're just. And he not can't be bothered. No, and he cannot be bothered. All right, well, then we can move on to the next segment, which is... Um, shot in the Face Part 2. Shot in the Face Part 2. Nashville Blues. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this takes us to Nashville, Tennessee in 1989. And we get to learn about a young man named Kevin Hughes, mm-hmm. who was like... Apparently, he was a guy who was having some trouble finding, like, you know, his, his, his path in life. Mm-hmm. So, you know, just to make ends meet, he, be, he ends up becoming the car, car, chart director for Cashbox magazine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't understand how like people are able to just fall into these sorts of jobs, but he did. And apparently, and stop me if you understand, but it seemed to me that like this Cashbox magazine, they have this top hundred chart. But it doesn't seem to be actually based on any sort of data, like number of records sold. Instead, it's just like the person in charge of the chart just like assigns the rankings. Um, is, well, they, is did, that... they did mention that Kevin had an, had a sort of algorithm and it had to do with the number he would collect uh, data on the number of radio plays. Okay. For songs around the country, um, I think it was based on on records sold too. I mean, what the the one of the main points that they try to make about Kevin is that he was very fair and he was very like data driven. Right, us. exactly. Because I guess in in the industry there was issues with people buying their way up mm-hmm. on the yeah. higher on the chart. Right. And Kevin was uh, was a sterling, you know, uh, stalwart person who never uh, engaged in that sort of activity mm-hmm. um i want to set this up i'm sure you'll talk about it and i want to set this up a little bit to say that everyone involved in this segment looks like an extra from the movie roadhouse there's a lot of mullets glorious what i want people to think about when they think about this segment if they haven't seen it recently is just think about billy ray cyrus and that time and that vibe it's very yeah. achy, breaky heart era, acid wash jeans, loose fitting tank tops, mullets, jean jackets, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. light beer. And it is literally everyone in, in the segment. Yes. Just think about the movie Roadhouse. Like, put that in your mind. And now you're in the vibe of, of this segment. Yeah. So it's the goddamn yes. Nashville hair show is what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I have, um, I have some nieces whose father, uh, it was a country musician uh, at least, at least at some point in his life. And oh. he actually played in Nashville. Is your niece by any chance, uh, Miley Cyrus? 
Yes, my niece is Miley Cyrus. God, she's um, she used to be such a sweet girl, but uh, <laughs> she's been acting kind of crazy lately. You know, she wrote some bangers, though. Also the name of one of her albums. Anyway, we can move on oh, from this. Okay. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so we get a... We get a situ- description of a situation where Kevin meets up with a, a friend of his named Sammy Sadler. Mm-hmm. And uh, they they go out to like a diner. Um, and then uh, leaving the diner, they made a... It was like an unplanned stop at Sammy's workplace, right? Yeah. Not, not, right. Not, at, not at Kevin's, but Sammy, Sammy worked at Evergreen Records. Yes. So uh, they were going to use the phone there mm-hmm. <laughs> because this is before. Yeah, no one had cell phones. They had cell to use phones. the phone. It's fine. Yeah. Normal thing to do. Yeah. And then um, while they were inside, they heard a noise um, that sounded like someone trying to open the door. Uh, Kevin go- went and looked to see who it was. And he saw like a figure walking away, right? Mm-hmm. Well, they said it was a black guy. Yeah, <laughs> they very the, the segment very quickly goes goes with that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so then a few minutes later, they're leaving the record store. They go out and get into the car, and as they get into the car, this individual returns, and we get shot in the face part two. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I believe, and they're they're so, both shot. Both. Oh yeah, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Sammy is shot, and. It's Kevin who gets out and st- starts fleeing, right? Yeah. And he gets shot um, uh, and, eventually, and and is killed mm-hmm. out on the street. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, the, the killer left. Uh, I think, like, the thing I had in my notes was that uh, the, the killer had a cap that said World War II veteran and damn proud of it, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's and, the only like, clue I'm they so, had. And that it was a black guy. And that it was a black guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's where the mystery leaves off until we get a... Um, I believe it was one of those still explanations as to how the mystery was solved. So, obviously, Unsolved Mysteries didn't solve this one, but someone else did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and as it turns out, do you want to guess whether it was a black guy or not? Um, we'll let the listeners please respond, yes or no. Okay, I'm and, gonna I'm gonna say no, it wasn't. And you are correct. Yeah, it was a man named yeah. uh, Richard D'Antonio. D'Antonio. Yeah. Uh, which, uh, from what the the text at the um end of the segment suggests is that this was uh it, this was related to that whole ranking scheme mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah uh, so bribery D- situation d'antonio was uh, a co-worker of kevin's yes yeah and he was convicted of the of the killing Four, 14 years after the crime so they uh they did eventually solve it i liked that there was a quote though in the segment they interview the uh investigating uh, Lieutenant, Lieutenant Bill Pridemore. <laughs> uh, and he's like, we don't have a clue. <laughs> he literally said that. <laughs> I'm like, well, at least he's honest. 
<laughs> right. You know, that's, that, why that's... You, that's why you go on Unsolved Mysteries. You're like, well, we didn't know what happened. And so, well, yeah. 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 So uh, oh. that got solved and justice was served. Mm-hmm. And we got a segment that I found interesting enough for a true crime segment, especially since there's a lot of mullets being... Yeah. Out. They're not. They're not even like. Do you remember um, several episodes back where there was like a family reunion of kids that were separated in Oklahoma? Yes. Okay. And now, do you remember those mullets? I do. Those were like incidental mullets. Um, the, the mullets in the in this Nashville episode were highly stylized. Like you, they involved hair mousse. They involved a blow dryer. Like this is like big country music. You know, they're not just accidental mullets. They're not like, oops, I let the, my hair grow out too long in the back. This is like, I have a feeling I the made title of this episode is going to be Accidental Mullets. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I kind of feel like the first mullet occurred when, when someone was getting their hair cut and before the barber could get to the back, they were like, oh, I got to get out of here. There's an emergency. <laughs> And then they just wait, wait, back. you're not done. It's hair in the I back. Get the is back. Still... And they were like, God, oh, my house is on fire. I got to I got to get out of here. So do you want to move on to another missing dad? Segment? Yeah. Where's my dad? Where's my dad? Part two. Well, as it turns out, dad was uh, originally in Ohio and we're dialing back to the 1970s mm-hmm. or actually i guess technically earlier since uh, if, if we go by the birth of the individual in question mm-hmm. this this segment's kind of interesting because the stack introduction it starts out in the um unsolved mysteries hot tip room mm-hmm. tip hotline or you know whatever and stack is like explaining he starts out by explaining that this segment is closed, ca- that the, 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 the Unsolved Mysteries is closed, ca- closed captioned for the hearing impaired. Mm-hmm. Like most television is. Yes. And was. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, you know. They really pat themselves on the back for that one. <laughs> Man, they do. And it, it's it's so funny because they, like. <laughs> They, they're mentioning it now, like halfway through the second season. Um, and also a, a, a slight note on that. Um, uh, most deaf people uh, prefer to be referred to as deaf, but not hearing impaired. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess, yeah, because, you know, if you're at least if you're really deep in like the the deaf community and culture uh-huh. because hearing hearing impaired implies that there's something like deficient about you oh really yeah like deaf 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 is the uh preferred nomenclature oh well i i didn't know that and yeah. i'm glad you explained that um i thought maybe the reason in this case they were using the term hearing impaired as opposed to deaf because it seems like the the person that we're going to talk about could hear a little bit yeah, she yeah, wasn't I mean, totally deaf, so she was just she's, uh, a little she's, impaired. So she, I, yeah, I didn't she, know. she, she's hard of hearing. Yeah. Okay. Well, now we know. All right. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and I like. I also like how they they explain the background. Like they got a letter from her. Yeah. You know, because because they didn't get a phone call. <laughs> Here's the letter, and he he holds up the prop letter, 
Uh, it, it, <laughs> I love when they give him like the props. I love them. Yes. Here's the Go diary. Along. Here's the murder Gail's, weapon. Gail's diary. Pink diary. We have a letter to This uh, is the last to... film that exists of this person. Yeah. Yes. I love it when they give him the thing. It's good. Yeah. So this takes us to Ohio and uh, to a young woman named Patty English, mm-hmm. who is the dot. Uh, daughter who's going to be searching for her father. Um, she was born prematurely, so she ended up having some hearing issues. Mm-hmm. And her father was only around for like the first few days, and like him and the wife separated. And he tried like to make a couple of efforts to swing by, mm-hmm. but but it was clear that there was not um, there 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 was there were some issues there. Um, it's well. They were both really young. I think they were both t- teenagers. Yeah, yeah. Like the, the yeah. yeah the mother yeah the mother's like seventeen years yeah. old. And it was, it seems 19- like it was like a real shotgun marriage situation that, of course, didn't work out. So didn't work out. Yeah. Um, and so then we get like five years afterwards. So yeah. like Patty was. Um, I think they mentioned Patty was born on December twenty fifth, nineteen fifty eight. Right. Uh sure. Yeah, or, or maybe she, that was just when she was brought home from the hospital. But, uh, yeah, so Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, well, they should have put this in the Christmas episode. Yeah, seriously. Then they would have had a perfect uh, 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 run of it. Um, and so she grew up thinking that her stepfather was her actual father. Mm-hmm. And so when we jump ahead five years, we get this weird situation where her actual father drops by. Uh, to visit her uh and she you know at five years old she doesn't have any idea what's going on like who's this you know apparently nice guy Mm -hmm. but also stranger who's Mm -hmm. coming by Mm -hmm. um and i actually in the reenactment the thing that stuck out to me was as soon as he like described who he was to the stepfather did you notice the cross arms the stepfather makes upon here discovering Mm -hmm. who this is Mm mm-hmm it's like, oh, and so the stepfather lets him vet, visit with Patty for a few minutes. And then we have to jump ahead again now to 1971 when yeah. Patty's 12 years uh, old. So, and this, so so real dad is like on a six year schedule. He's like a planet that like comes into orbit every, <laughs> every six, six years. years he yeah. lines up and yeah. uh, he, he can visit the planet Earth and visit his daughter. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Exactly. Did he? So, no, I better not talk about that because that'll just lead us off. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so she's 12 years old, a uh, student at school. He comes mm-hmm. by again. And this was really strange because, like, I, I get the, you know, like, and I, maybe it's just, a testament to what a different time the 70s were mm-hmm. where like you can just walk into a school and yeah. be like hey i want to visit patty english i you know it's wild to me that the way that they chose to film i don't know if it's really what happened but the way that they filmed the reenactment is just like they're having this emotional reunion in the middle of class like in she the middle of the classroom yeah she doesn't get like pulled out into the hallway no she's like in the middle and there's all these other students sitting around like what the fuck's going on here. Exactly. It was very strange. Pat- it was very weird. 
And Patty's kind of like, what the fuck is going on? Because yeah. like, she doesn't know, you know this man. She's like, who there, does? There's a lot of like bizarre, like lack of information being shared because he doesn't introduce himself as her father. No, he's just like, yeah. So I, I mean, she's obviously understandably like just a little, uh, you know, she's feeling disconcerted by this. Yeah. And, and it's not until he's gone. So after he's failed to introduce himself as her father, it's only after he's gone that the teacher then like mentions that she's that he's her father. Yeah. And so she goes running after him, but he's already left at that point. Yeah. It was just it was like this 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 part of the segment was the epitome of poor communication. Yeah. Well, and also, you know, she's I'm sure the dad wasn't like she Patty can read lips pretty well, but like Yeah. You know, he wasn't, like, signing to her. Like, it had to be really, the whole thing, very confusing and very stressful, I'm did, sure. Did he, did he perceive anything strange in how he was talking to her when he sat down next to her? Like, um, did you? I don't know. Like, he, it's not like he did that thing where someone might, like, talk slowly and loudly at yeah. someone. Yeah. But it definitely kind of felt like he wasn't sure how to talk to a deaf person. Like, just the... There was some slight offness to how he's yeah. trying to communicate. I think it was a little that, and I think it was the awkwardness of, like, not having seen your daughter since she was five or six. Right, right. Yeah, that, that probably doesn't help. But what um, I was focused on at this particular scene was the Where's Waldo sweater that they chose to dress the poor <laughs> actress in. <laughs> Pat, the, re- the reenactor playing a... Uh, 12-year-old Patty's wearing a red and white striped sweater. It's just not doing her any favors. It's very hideous. Anyway, um... Where in the world is Waldo? <laughs> Man, we've never had a Waldo-Carmen San Diego crossover, have we? Uh... No, I'm sure there's probably some, like, licensing issues <laughs> between those two companies. I don't know. I'm gonna... But I'll check DeviantArt at the end of this episode to see if anyone's made anything. Um, yeah, so then we, we jump ahead. Like, I guess Patty's stepfather wasn't that great. At 14, she ran away from home. Yeah. Ends up in some sort of, like, a place where they, you know, runaways end up being stored at. Uh, and somehow, like, gets she gets in contact with her, her father who comes over and he's he's ready to like try to be a father now after mm-hmm. 14 years mm-hmm. uh and like you know there's talk of him trying to like pursue something you know thing for her being able to like uh for her to live with him but uh it's not a go according to the legal system yeah and so he sees her like one last time uh over at her uh mother's place and then just drives off yep you know I've, i have to say during this segment i kind of felt like this guy really wasn't putting in that much of an effort you think yeah well you know well let's get to the update and then i'll share yeah. my thoughts so update great great uh good news uh, a nice way to end this uh whole uh, episode of unsolved mysteries uh, Patty managed to find her, uh, get, uh, get, get in contact with her uh, father. Yeah, and because we have her half sister, who is also named Patty. Patty. 
<laughs> called called the show two days after it aired, and I I think that is hilarious. Yes. That there's just a guy who can't think of another name. <laughs> well, I need a replacement for my real daughter, Patty. Yeah, so this one, this other one, Patty. You're, you're, you're the new Patty now. Yeah. It's a, it's, so a, that... it's a real like my sweet Audrina kind of, but less twisted. <laughs> right, exactly. Whoa, that's a here. Put on this red and white striped shirt. You're the new Patty now. Uh, that didn't happen. Anyway, uh, so so there is some footage of like Patty is now reuniting with her now elderly father, and it feels nice. Feels nice. Yeah, man. That, you know, the, the... maybe there's a lot of missteps. Right. They're there right. now. So I don't yeah. know. I wanted to rail on dad. But then I was thinking, you know, he was so young and that's true. And he he didn't have a lot of choice in the matter because shit mm -hmm. happens and men get in these situations and he probably wasn't ready to be a dad. And I think given that it seems like Patty's mom and her stepdad really were making an effort to make it difficult for her real oh, yeah. dad. I'm not saying he shouldn't have tried harder, but we don't know. We don't know what his story is. We don't know what's going on in his life. We don't know, you know, and they're together now. And so that's nice. And so I'm, I'm going to give this dad a pass. He gets a dad pass. He gets a bad dad pass for me. I think that's fair. I think uh, of, of some of, because, because we have met some truly absent dads mm -hmm. in the course of this uh, show, mm -hmm. in the course of this episode, uh, and at least, yeah, yeah, this one, this this guy put in a bit more effort than Ray did. Yeah, but uh, it's but it's also like, what was he what was he supposed to do for maybe right. for maybe being in a situation that he didn't have a lot of choice in to begin with. Yeah, I'm just yeah. saying. Uh, a lot of us can, I think, can sympathize with that. Yeah, so I'm, I'm just happy they, Patty and Patty, and Dad are now, uh, they're now together and they can catch up and you know, maybe Patty gets to ask him where he was and what he was doing and mm -hmm. you know. Anyway, why did you name? Why did you name your other daughter Patty? Yeah, that's would be my first question, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> It's really weird. It's a weird thing to do. Uh, and then uh, that's the end of the episode, Robbie. Yeah. Um, indeed it is. If you enjoyed this episode or enjoyed this podcast of this episode or just enjoy Unsolved Mysteries, you can catch up with us on social media. How, how would someone do that? Uh, by visiting us at Reenacted Pod on Twitter, uh -huh. or sending us an email at reenactedpod at gmail dot com, or visiting a MySpace uh, page for Reenacted and Unsolved Mysteries podcasts. Mm -hmm. um, please be sure to try to give us five star reviews on iTunes or anywhere that you, uh, you can leave a five star review. At all. Anywhere where you can Anywhere leave a five-star review. And yes. if you do that, 
do that and leave take you know take some sort of screenshot of your name or, or leave us some indication as to who you are. Yeah. You still have a chance to be entered to win a special drawing that's going to happen at some point when we get twenty people. Yeah, to it was, leave uh, the contest is ongoing, so come on. Yeah. You want it. You you want it real yeah, we, bad. Yeah, we had a big surge of people that tried to, you know, who put in for that. And then just a lot of people. And then, like, since then, it's kind of slowed. Yeah, which well, is kind of... I'm okay with, because I, I feel like that will give us enough time that I can actually get down to Los Angeles and uh, uh, have you sign that mm -hmm. coupon before, before uh, we pick a winner. Yeah. So, come on, Rumbers. Make it... Happen. Robbie, do you want to do the thing? Join me next week for another edition of Unsolved Mysteries.